0: And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To Do List. I'm your host Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm thrilled to share with you a conversation I had with James Sudakow. He is the author of Out of the Blur: A Delirious Dad's Search for the Holy Grail of Work-Life Balance. And this topic is one we haven't talked about a lot recently on the show. We've talked about it a number of times on this show, and that's the point: is it's different for everybody. But if you're like me, you're tired of the blur of going from work home life and back again, and trying to balance it all and not remembering what you did maybe in either of those places, let alone having time for yourself. And in this conversation, we talk about taking a look at what trade-offs you're willing to make and which you're not, taking a personal inventory of where you're at now, what it looks like, what it feels like, and then what do you want it to look like? What do you want it to feel like? And honestly, one of the key pieces is getting over the superhero syndrome of trying to do everything possible, trying to do every single activity with family, trying to do every single uh, you know kid's activity that they can possibly be signed up for, trying to do every single thing that you can do at work within reason. Because sometimes, again, it's all about internal and external expectations and the relationships that accompany those expectations. So this is going to be a fun conversation. I hope that you get a lot out of it, and I'll get out of the way and let you enjoy this conversation with James Sudakow. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, James Sudakow. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you've got a book out there that is touching on a topic we've not talked about on this show in a long time, actually. It's called Out of the Blur, A Delirious Dad's Search for the Holy Grail of Work-Life Balance. And key there (laughs) is work-life balance. I would love to... Give a little bit of your story, your path of how you became, you know, aware of this problem. Obviously, you know, yeah. you, you've become aware of it by having to deal with it head on, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and first of all, maybe the most important thing we're going to say for this entire time is that was my Monty Python reference. I just want to make sure everybody <laughs> knows that. The holy grail. <laughs> but um, for me, what I what I started, it was a personal journey that as I started going on it myself, I started talking to lots of other dads and actually you know other parents quite honestly even more broadly than just dads and found that a lot of the things that I was experiencing they were too and that's why I started writing the book but it started just as a personal need to try to rectify what clearly wasn't working um you know my wife used to tell me uh, I was looking fairly dilapidated, and that's a pretty strong word. But I, I, started saying, is it really that bad? And and then what I started to realize is, um, my approach to work-life balance. You know, we have we're raising four kids, uh, and I'm the sole provider for my family. Um, so there's some pressure there. I, I like what I do, but what I was doing was basically a thousand things for work every day, or at least it felt like that. And then because I care so much about trying to be a good husband and a good parent, I was trying to do like a thousand things at home every day. And it was just not sustainable. And things were just blending left and right. So I had no boundaries and, you know, work would interfere with life and life would interfere with work. And it was just all this big kind of pot of stuff. And it just wasn't working for me to the point where I was actually feeling good about what I was doing. Um, And so I kind of felt like, well, gosh, there are many, many days where I feel like I'm not doing a good job at work. And there are many days where I feel like I'm not being the best husband or parent. So I have to figure out something different. And that's really where it came from.
0: I can definitely relate to that. Now in my case, I've got half the kids. <laughs> <laughs> still a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still 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 an overwhelming amount for sure. Yeah. Even one. We had one yeah. for a very long time and then 7 years in it was like, "Oh, here we go, another one." And <laughs> uh, and and my wife works two part-time jobs. So, okay. and I'm a full-time yeah. job and I have this part-time Podcast, so yeah. uh, you know I I get where you're coming from. Uh, one of the yeah. other dynamics there that a lot of people would probably relate to is whether you're checking in, you know, clocking in, punching a time clock or whatever yeah. at, at an office, or like a lot of people I know that listen to this show, they work from home or remote work in some capacity.
1: Yeah, yet another. And it's boring. all that, and that's exactly right. And so there's all this stuff out there. There's so many different versions of work now. And they're quite honestly, what I've learned is there's so many different versions of family life that it's almost like there's this tons of permutations of how this thing could get blurry for you. (laughs) Right. And it did for me.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's where I want to ask is, like, you know, where where does the root of this, quote, problem lie? Because for some people, it's probably not even a problem. They just say, you know what? Things are the way they are and they're fine. But for others, like there there is a let's just put it this way. They have guilt. Because they feel like a failure at work or at home or both all of the time. And I mean, is it that we're working more and that the hours of working are now blurred? Or is it that we're, we've never truly been taught how to rest or create boundaries? Or is it, I mean, is it a mixture of all of the above plus technology? Right.
1: Well, yeah. So it's really interesting. So before I actually started on my own path, one of the things that I did is I, I said, I got to read what, what, what are, what are quote unquote experts saying about work-life balance? And I was actually pretty demoralized. And I talk about it a little bit in the book that there's a lot of people out there and it gets to a little bit about what you're saying that, that are just saying, Hey, work-life balance doesn't even exist. You shouldn't even try to get it. It's not possible. And when I, and I, there's a lot of that actually. And I said, well, that, that's not, a good thing. I don't feel great about the fact that people are just giving up on the concept of it because, you know, when you have really good balance in your life, like you should feel good about what you're doing, both on work and life. And so just to give up on, it didn't make sense. And then there's this stuff and it gets to this technology being at the forefront of how we work and live these days in many ways. And I talk about this in the book too, technology, uh, breaks down boundaries. And that's a really awesome thing. But when you think about trying to create space that's dedicated to your work and your life, you know, that same technology that does really cool things by breaking down boundaries makes it much harder to get work-life balance because stuff is coming in from all angles. And so it's a challenge, right? For those of us that are trying to, and I think it's a lot of people, a lot of dads and and parents that I spoke to, you know, we want to be good at our jobs and we want to be good parents. (laughs) But when there's so much information coming in from all angles all the time, You can't feel like you're actually accomplishing the things you want to do in both fronts or you're very distracted or you try to multitask. And all that does is add just a bunch of stress to your life, which makes you not as good at what you're wanting to be doing in whatever moment that is. At least that's the way it was for me and lots of other people that I spoke with.
0: Well, and I wonder too if like what I was listing off where it's, you know, that we're, we're working more or we're expected to work more or that our, our home lives, like we've, we've decided that a certain measure of success means, you know, and then you list off all these things and, and not all those things on that list of success would have been necessarily part of the makeup of what would have been quote traditional. I don't know, family life or leisure life in the past, right? Like we've we've kind of overloaded on both fronts and are still wondering, you know, how to carry this
1: balance. (laughs) That's true. Well, and you know, related to that, it's such a good point. One of the things that I found in my, when I went through my own journey is when I would ask myself, and this gets to exactly what you're saying, when I would ask myself, hey, what, what is like my perfect work-life balance, quote unquote, vision look like? I didn't really have an answer. Um, because I was kind of like reactively doing work-life balance. So I'd have a good day and say, Hey, that was a good work-life balance day, or I'd have a bad day. And I'd say, well, that wasn't it, but I really hadn't sat down and it gets to what you were saying and listed out, Hey, what are the most important things I want for my life outside of work? And what are the most important things I want for my work? And then is that even operationally to use a business (laughs) term, but is that even operationally feasible? Is there enough time in the day for me to do that without feeling like I'm chasing my tail around? So that whole concept of this creating your work-life vision is something that I do with businesses all the time in my job, and I had never even thought to apply it to work-life balance, but it became a really important thing to say, look, I actually have to define what I want it to be for me, and then I can actually put things in place to help me achieve that vision. And that may be totally different than your vision or somebody else's vision, but having a clear path towards, hey, that's what I want it to be then lets me kind of say, well, what am I going to do and what am I not going to do versus just letting it kind of materialize on its own, which is what was happening to me.
0: I want to take a moment to remind you about a tool that I use every single day. It's called Brain.fm. It's an AI music engine created using scientific research that creates music to help me improve the activities I'm already doing in 15 minutes or less. Activities like maintaining deep focus on a single task that I really need to complete relaxation, sleeping or napping, and even meditating, I found that it works great for all of these things. And you can go to com slash brainfm to try it out for free and get 20% off your first year. Now, what I recommend is choosing one of two options to test this out for yourself. Either do a 20-minute nap or a little longer if you so choose, or Choose to focus in on a single task while you're using it. Again, that 20 to 30 minutes really is where your brain gets into the flow state, whether it's full relaxation or fully deep focus. Like I said, I use this daily multiple times a day for that deep focus, for relaxing, taking a quick nap, or even meditating. But you've got to try it out for yourself. Go on over to com slash brainfm, where you can try it out for free and get 20% off your first year. I also wonder if we've also forgotten that there's a seasonality to it or, or a cycle, right? Like a cycle to it where, uh, for example, I know that in the fall and even, uh, late fall or early winter, there's this thing called (laughs) soccer in my life.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we have it too.
0: Yeah. This thing called (laughs) kids soccer, where suddenly, uh, Almost every night, or um, or maybe every night, it has, it has happened before, in a week, both oh, yeah. kids have games in the same day, even, and it's just like, uh, this does not work for my evening to completely disappear. <laughs> that's and, true. you know, And my wife and I are tag-teaming, like, okay, you take him today, and I'll take her, and then vice versa, and then we're not eating together, we're not even planning meals, we're grabbing food oh, right. to and from soccer fields, or indoor soccer fields, and... I think what helps is we see the season coming. We we map out the season, you know, the duration of the season, and we're like, okay, we know we just have to get through this. How do we get through this ahead of time? Yeah. So I I I think we forget that, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think we forget that there are some times where you're going to be overloaded on one side or the other, and that's okay. As long as it's not happening to you without any, to your point, like some sort of thought process around, Hey, we know this thing's coming or we know there's like a big one. I just had one month long period at work where I, it was, you know, a lot more work on the, if I were to balance it on a scale of hundred percent, it was a lot more than I would have wanted in my long-term view, but it was a short-term seasonal thing that I knew was coming. And so it's about knowing that stuff and planning for it and being okay with it being, quote-unquote, out of balance for that period of time as long as you have this longer view of what that balance should look like on a more kind of regular basis.
0: So I have a thought here that is based on something you just said, and it's something that kind of goes along with this whole (laughs) – word balance is it's this idea of scales it's this idea yeah. of a 100% it's this idea yeah. that i mean because let's be realistic we're not spend in some senses we're actually spending more than 50% of our effort or our energy on our career time the, yeah. our work time in a given week because yeah. if you really were to categorize like every single hour of your week and you know do the math it's not
1: uh-huh. a 50-50 that's right. And I actually did the math. And that's what's so funny that you bring that up. I actually went through the kind of ridiculous process of doing the math and once I had laid out what I wanted it to be on both sides, I did the math. And my first math obviously had me at way past a 24-hour day, so that wasn't going to work. But then when I went back and like reconciled it, what I realized is one of the biggest things that I mean, I guess I'm kind of a literalist, but one of the biggest things that was frustrating me about work-life balance is the fact that it's presented as a scale and that success, you know, in quotes, is often depicted to us as 50 50, and it's not that way unless you choose it to be that way and then you manipulate what you're doing on both sides to make it that way. But for most of us, it's not. And at different points in our lives, it may be a different percent too. You know, so w- for me right now, I've chosen almost this 60 40 split on the life side because we're raising these four kids, and two of them aren't even our own. They're my wife's younger brother and sister that we become legal guardians for, and then we have two little kids. And so I kind of said, you know, there's a huge amount of attention that's required there. I'm fortunate that I run my own business so I could kind of go into sustain mode versus trying to grow it every year, which is what I had been doing. And so I split it that way. But there are many people that are 70-30 on the work side, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think for me it's about making sure that we know what it is versus letting it happen to us and I think you're totally right I don't know anybody that's at 50-50, even though that's the way you always see it like depicted when you read an article about it
0: yeah and I think that's really the thing that that you have to call into question is what does it look like for you now versus yeah. what what is it that you want it to look like right I mean exactly you, you describe in the book this thing called the <laughs> blur uh, I'd love for you to maybe describe that a little bit and see you know I, I think we've already discussed it a little bit but I want to make sure that people understand like it's when you feel like you're you know, like I was talking about earlier you know I'm working all day and then going to a soccer game and then my wife and I are passing each other with the kids and we barely we're not sitting down to eat and it's like everybody's do, doing their own thing
1: yeah i mean and that's basically what it is it's this notion of we've almost and i hate to say this but i was kind of doing this inadvertently but we've almost accepted this concept of what a lot of people write about these days which is called work life blend so the people that are saying work life balance is impossible also talk about well here's what you should do it's work life blend and that's that's what we just talked about to me that's work life blur it's everything just coming in all at once right and so how do you actually reconcile that and some people are better at it than others and there are some people out there that might listen to this and say hey i do work life blend and it works totally fine for me so that's cool but then there's a lot of us out there that that just becomes a blur and so how do we actually take a little bit of control of certain things and actually organize things so that it feels less like a blur and more like some degree of organization, whether our you know, percentage allocation is 70-30, 60-40, 55-45, whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's us taking some control over what we want that to be and then organizing things so that it doesn't become that blurry kind of thing where you're just kind of in a haze getting through your day and not sure how you did it.
0: Yeah, you said earlier the, the commentary about uh, technology breaking down barriers and you know it's not just technology but it is you know definitely enabling for sure because yeah. you, if you can work from everywhere that doesn't mean that you should but it also right. means that you could and in some cases that's a really good thing to be able right. to to could do that that is not grammatically correct but i'm leaving it <sighs> in and <I> like it. <laughs> and and i think like you said some people out there it it's it's perfectly fine for them to have blend where things exactly. where there's where there's literally almost no boundaries because they like it that way but right. my concern there for them because i'm a person who needs actual boundaries like a lot of them <laughs> um, Me too. i i like to ha- i loved leaving my work at work That's not necessarily something that's been as easy working out of my home. But even when I was back in an office, the technology was starting to make it more blurry. Um, Point being, I think it's all about being actually intentional with the amount of boundaries that you want and or need and being, you know, having self-awareness on that. And I think that's where you tell us to start is basically by taking a personal inventory.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that you use the perfect word there, intentionality. Um, and that's like what I found when I talked to most people and I would put myself included in that when I first started, I had no intentionality to my plan for work-life balance. It was a reactive thing. And that's the way most of us are. So when you create some intentionality around it, and then when you add intention to your boundaries and I do the same thing, and I talk about this in the book, it's about being self-aware about them. And then I would even carry it one step further. It's just being willing to accept the implications of that intentionality. And I never was right. So my talk about this thing in the book called the superhero syndrome which is just trying to do everything. I was never okay with what does it mean to not try to do everything. And so because I had never gotten to the point where I was okay with the trade-offs, I just kept trying to do everything and that really wasn't a successful way to do it. So my broader point here is like be intentional and then recognize that there are inevitable trade-offs to that intentionality and once you can get yourself to say okay, I accept what that means. That means I'm not going to do this or I am going to do this, then it actually becomes a lot clearer because it's like, you know, it's like a business where, hey, these are our priorities. This is what we're focused on. We know that that means we're not doing these other things over here. And we accept that. And it's the same thing with with work-life balance. At least that's the way it played out for me and lots of others that I talked to as I did this.
0: What are some of the things we have to consider when we take that inventory? When we decide to to pause and say, you know, ultimately, where are we at right now and yeah. what what does it look like right now? What does it feel like right now? And and what do we want it to be like instead?
1: Yeah, so what I what I talk about and what I actually did for myself is I did this thing called a day in the life and I don't know if you ever heard about that before if before you'd read the book, but we do this a lot with businesses when we do transformation. We say, "Hey, let's just document what's life like for us right now." And literally just go through and kind of lay out a day. And I did one in my book. It was kind of a ridiculous day. But in many ways, that day was kind of, you know, the way every day was with the exception of a few gory details that I describe in that particular day. But when you do, when you go through your day, it doesn't take that long to kind of just sit down at the end of it all and write it all down what happened and what I what I did and what I what I often ask people to do is when did you feel like you were most in control? When did you feel like you didn't have any control? When were you most stressed? And when did you feel like you had things that were like? under control from a stress perspective. And what's interesting is, and then I shared it, like I said, Hey, I'll have my wife take a look at this. And she gave me some really interesting insight, you know, letting others take a look at your day is, is super valuable, even if they kind of hit you on the head with some blunt stuff. But it's that inventory becomes a really important way of starting to identify, you know, what am I doing to contribute to my work-life balance challenge? If I do perceive that I have one, It's really interesting when you talk about work-life balance these days, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's way beyond our control. And we've even talked about it. Technology, I can't control, you know, if one of my biggest clients is being acquired, you know, I can't control consolidating industries. There's like a lineage of things I have no control over that has definite impact on how I perceive my work-life balance to be. But what I can control is what I'm doing. And that's really what I spend time talking about in the book. And doing that inventory for yourself kind of gets you to start to see, what are the things that I'm doing that I may not even be super aware of in the moment? Like I can watch myself on TV like a reality show and be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize I, I was doing that. And I was causing this particular challenge. And that's what the inventory does.
0: Well, and I would imagine that the inventory then also needs to have outside input if yeah. there are others involved, you know, like, like a spouse or, you know, even, even, you know, I'd hesitate to say this, but I guess I'm going to say it, you, you know, a boss or team members or managers, et cetera. Because, yeah. you know, if, if you're feeling like, Hey, I'm overloaded here. Like, what can we do? Right. Kind of, it's, it's all about the relationships and the the stated and non-stated expectations, right?
1: Totally, Totally agree. And actually, when I've done some working sessions with some companies, we actually have them share their day in the life with others that work with them, right? And as a way of kind of like, you know, we all have our own realities. And sometimes we don't see the reality of what our reality (laughs) causes somebody else's reality to be, right? And so sharing it is actually really important, not not as a means of saying, I can't do this work, for example, at a work environment, but just so that people understand what your holistic life is like and how can we actually figure out for us to be able to do this work or have this thing going on in our life that doesn't negatively impact the other one.
0: So is this what you're talking about when you talk about the work-life equation, or is that something even more complicated? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no, see, I know. So the work-life equation- I'm not good is, at
0: math, so that's- No, I'm,
1: I'm not doing. either. No. So that, so, the, so the inventory is kind of like what I would call your current state. Um, the work-life equation is kind of like what I would call your future state. And that's getting to this stuff that we talked about. Like, What is it that you want specifically? What are the most important things you want to make sure you're doing from a work perspective? And then the same thing from a life perspective. And then what does that balance look like for you? And I even talked about mine was like 60-40 or 65-35 on the life front. That's my work-life equation, right? So it's that percentage. And then what are the things specifically that fall into what I need in each bucket, work and life, to have work-life balance? And then once I have that, you know, it took me a little while to figure that out because I had to go through this iterative process. I have way too many things, of course, on both sides because I think I'm a superhero so I can do it all. Once I ratcheted it down, I then said, okay, this is actually a doable thing. I look at my percentages and I'm a little bit over on the life side, but that's by choice. And I've got these things that I still want to do on the work side. So that requires a certain amount of hours. And the life thing requires a certain amount of hours. And now I have kind of an equation that I can actually shoot for. And everything that I do now every day and every week and every month has to like direct me towards that end game. And it's kind of like your future state. So if I was doing this with a company, it's, hey, let's map our current state then let's map our future state. And then let's figure out how to make sure everything we're doing every day points us to the future state, not necessarily to the current state. And that's something that I see in businesses all the time is we forget that. And so we get this great future state, but then we don't change anything about our behaviors. And people wonder, how come we're not achieving that future state? Well, we didn't fix the stuff that we're doing every day, and we didn't line it up with where we're trying to get to from the future state. I don't know if that makes sense or not.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's incremental. It's a daily thing. Yeah. And okay. you know if you don't map the transition from one place to the other, then yeah, you can wonder like, wait, we, we want it to be this way. Why is it not getting there?
1: Right. How can we did all this hard work to get this really cool future state? And we're just still like, not even close to achieving that what's going wrong.
0: There's a bit of trouble there though, with people in the mapping, because again, it, it can take some time. Like first off, again, yeah. you've got to, you, I mean, like you said, you've got to kind of do the inventory first. Yeah, uh, You've got to, you know, got to see where you're at. And, and for some people, they just don't even have a clue. Like they don't right. really like they just, they feel like angst and unease about the way things are and they don't necessarily have any clarity on the future state at all. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what I found for me, cause I didn't have any clarity on my future state either. What I found was doing the inventory, kind of the current state day in the life was super helpful in helping me figure out what my future state was. And the good thing about doing the inventory is, You don't have to think you just write down what your day was like right at 7 a.m. It doesn't have to be super detailed like I did in my book, but you can just say, here's what happened all day long. And then this made me super stressed or here I felt okay, And this part I felt like way out of control and this over here and that over there. And once you do that, it inevitably causes you to think about, well, what would I want to do differently if I could do this day again? And then you kind of say, well, okay, what do this? Or here's what I wouldn't have done, or here's I'd have more space in between these meetings. And that starts to get you to what your future state may be. To your point though, the future state does take a little bit of time to think through, and people shouldn't try to rush through it because it's super important, knowing what you want it to look like, because most of us don't do that with work-life balance. And I said I would raise my hand too a year ago. Once you get it and once you spend a little bit of time thinking about it, man. Everything I do every day, even still today, I'm like, is that helping me get to that future state or did I just go off the rails a little bit, right? So it becomes a really good barometer to like keep you focused.
0: Yeah. And, and again, there's going to be times where it's like, okay, this day completely off the rails. Yeah. Like this. And didn't, it's
1: okay. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that, and
0: that that is fine. And acknowledging that, you know, giving yourself, you know, forgiving yourself for not yeah. <laughs> moving towards the future state today. Those, those phrase, the phrase that I just said sounded like some other person talking, you, giving yourself <laughs> forgiveness for not moving towards the future state today. That's a statement <laughs> I never thought I'd say, but there you go. it's true. It's true. Like, it, I mean, again, it's one of those things where, we want change and we want it now, but we also don't know that we, we also don't necessarily even know necessarily the change that we want. And so,
1: right. Right. So you got to define it for yourself. And that's, that's the hard part, but it's actually the cool part too, because once you see it clearly, then it's like, Oh man, now I know what I'm shooting for every day. And that's actually really cool. And to your point, if you go off the rails and it had to happen, You don't get demoralized because you know it went off the rails almost with some degree of intentionality. Like I used the last month and a half of my life where I had some client work. I knew it was going to be bad. Um, I knew it would separate me more than I wanted to in terms of like the time that I was spending at home. But I also knew it was a month and a half. And I'm the sole financial provider. We needed it. So I did it. But it wasn't as though I was way off the rails and had no idea where I was going. I took a slight deviation because we needed it. And now we're back into what was my plan, and I would have never known that if I really hadn't figured out what my, that future state was all about for
0: me. Yeah, and see, there you go. It was that intentionality mixed with awareness, so that you could decide which com- you know which compromises or trade offs uh, yeah. you were willing to make. That's right. And, and that's the difficult key right there is, again, that kind of goes back to the whole like, you know, how many boundaries or what, how solid of a boundary uh, do you need in place based on you, based on who else yeah. is involved, based on the season of the, you know, again, you said a month and a half. Right. Well, a month and a half is one thing, you know, three months, six months, that starts to it's get different to the point where it's like, oh, we've got to, we've got to tackle this differently.
1: That's right. And I, and quite honestly, had this project been six months, I would have had to have dealt with. Do I even take it? Do because that would have been a major violation of what I had said, my work-life balance needed to be. And was I willing to accept that? Quite honestly, I'm not sure I would have been willing to accept it for six months. That would have been too big of a departure from what my future state was. And I would have found some other way to bring in money that didn't require me to totally be an absentee dad and husband for six months. I wasn't willing to go there for a month and a half. I could handle it because it was short. It got what we needed. And then it let me go right back into what I had planned. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, In the book, you also talk about these eight traps. And I, I look at these as I was going through these traps. I couldn't help but feel like they're, they're one part symptom of the problem, one part yeah. stating of the problem to overcome and, yeah. and stop getting hung up on. Um, I, I don't know if we need to go through all eight of them, although we could probably list them off and then <laughs> spend some time in certain places. But, you know, one of them, again, we've kind of already touched on a number of times here, which is undefined
1: boundaries. Yeah to me, like there were three traps that created so many other problems, right? So whenever I, the eight traps, I think they're all important. And like you said, we don't have to go through all of them, but I think there are three that if I were to, I think some traps cause other traps. Yes. And, and like the three traps that I thought were at the front end of that flow, that if you could nail these, like the other ones get a lot easier is what we've talked about. So the trap of undefined boundaries, the trap of the superhero syndrome, which I think so many of us dads have, I think we're just built in. You want to like you want to be really good at your job and you want to be an awesome dad and an awesome husband, at least those of us that care. And that's most of us, I think want to do that, which tends to mean you think you're just a superhero. Yeah, no, I can get it all done. My wife used to like complain about this with me all the time. She said, you're trying to be a superhero again. It's okay for you to say you can't do this thing, but that's hard for me. And so that's a big one. And then this trap of artificial urgency is something that I find is such a big deal for so many of us. And it's, it's this kind of trap of creating urgency when there really isn't any urgency. And that's not like a disguise for it's okay to procrastinate because I hate procrastination, but it's it's really about making sure that we're evaluating the level of urgency that we're putting on things. And many of us, and I, again, I'd raise my hand on all these, but many of us put urgency at levels that they don't need to be at. And that just creates additional stress for us, which doesn't make us feel good about what we're doing, whatever it is, work or life. So that artificial urgency is a really big one. And if you have the superhero syndrome, Artificial urgency just fuels it. it. It makes it worse. And then if you have no boundaries, all sorts of stuff just coming in. So those three things work together to create a bit of a um, of like a perfect work life balance storm. If we haven't you know solved those.
0: Yeah, I agree. And when you're talking about urgency, um that's one of those things where there's um, I don't you're probably you're potentially familiar with this. I know listeners have probably heard me talk about this before where it's this oh gosh, it's like it's from a Stephen Covey book, I think.
1: Yep, I know exactly. You know, what the, it the four is. quadrants
0: yeah. basically. And one yeah. of the one of the axes is urgency. The other is importance. And yep. urgency ramps up the artificial importance on things that aren't important. because of their urgency so that's right
1: yeah well and urgency happens to you too right so you know there are certain times where somebody else's urgency becomes your urgency and there are many times where you can't do anything about that and what i what i try to talk about is that's not something we can control so we have to live with that but how many things are we ourselves creating urgency around to your point that wouldn't have necessarily ramped up their importance on your scale had we not ascribed urgency to them and very few of us actually and again i raise my hand for this. Would have actually gone through and said, wow, okay, those five things over there, yeah, we need to do them, but are they absolutely as urgent as I'm making them? And I actually started creating these little urgency filters for myself to answer just a few key questions to like pressure test my desire to make something urgent. And, you know, seven, eight times out of 10, they weren't as urgent as I was making them. And I was just creating my own stress unnecessarily.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally have been there. And and I, I mean, I'm probably guilty of doing this even just yesterday and today. Like, I remember yeah. yesterday was a bit of a busy day. And I just f- kept thinking, there's so much to do. It's all important. And that just, yeah. it's all urgent, too. And, I, exactly. do, you know, you can't do all the things all at once. You have to do them one at a time. So- <laughs>
1: that's right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah.
0: Oh, gosh. The superhero syndrome. I think we've, we've kind of touched on that as well earlier when we we're talking about the idea yeah. of feeling like we had to do everything. And, and, you know, it's not just us, you know, it's not just us dads. I, my, my wife has this feeling as well where she feels like yeah. she's got to do everything and, and I've got to do everything. And if we're, well, then if we're both doing everything or if we feel like we have to do everything, then why isn't it all getting done?
1: Right. Well, and in some cases I, I would agree. And I'll bet you, you have the same thing that that we do. There are many days where it does get done, but is that work-life balance, right? I mean, I can crank out, I had lists of like 23 or 25 things a day and I can find a way to get them done. In many ways, that superhero syndrome is what got me promoted in the business world. Like it was, it made me successful. But then when I look at it, I'm getting them all done, but at what cost, right? I mean, there's obviously the cost to you as an individual, but I also talk about this concept in the book of like chasing time, which I was a massive victim of. And this thing of like next thing thinking when you have so many things to do, it's very hard to keep your mind in the thing you're actually doing and not think about the next thing on your list to do. And to me, that's like the biggest travesty of all from work life balance. I'm sitting in the car teaching you know, gave had to drive a couple of years ago. And I'm thinking about the work emails. I'm like, no, I, I need to be here in this moment with him driving the car, not just because there's a safety issue because he doesn't know how to drive, but also because, like, I should be enjoying the fact that this guy's learning how to drive and this is a cool thing for us to be doing. But what am I doing? I'm thinking about those work emails because it's on my list and I have too many things to do, right? That's like the superhero syndrome showing up in a really bad way.
0: Yeah, I hate that. And the only thing yeah. I can say that I think that is an antidote to it is – just by deciding that what is the amount of things that you're going to fit into that overall 100 percent that we then exactly. start to divvy up into percentages. Exactly. That's exactly it. On and all, it all fronts, back, right?
1: Yeah, on all fronts. On what work and life. That's where you that's where it comes to. It's exactly right.
0: So I yeah, I've been there. I you know, I've been I've been guilty of of the the I've been guilty of being in the next thing or even a thing that's two or three th- from that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, Totally. Totally.
1: <laughs> Today. When I, when I, when I talk to groups about this and I ask them about this, almost everybody raises their hand all the time. Like we all do this, yeah. this next thing thinking. Right. Um, so what I, I actually started saying, I'm only going to do three to five mission critical things a day. And by shortening the number of things and boy, was that hard, even though it was an arbitrary thing it stopped my next thing thinking because I didn't feel compelled to have to do it to complete my list. I could actually enjoy or focus on what I was doing because I didn't have 19 more things on the list. I only had three more things on the list.
0: Today is one of those days on top of the fact that my kid's home with strep throat. So (laughs) I'm kind of in the... And my wife's gone and my daughter's at school. So my son is home with me and I'm just like, okay, I have... This thing, you know, I need to talk with James. Then, when I'm done talking with James, I need to go make sure he's okay. Set oh, yeah. set him up so that I can then do the next thing, and then again and again. And that's the that's my day, at least till my wife gets home. So yeah,
1: well, and some days are just inevitably going to be like exactly. That, right? And and yeah. when it becomes a chronic problem, then you're like, okay, am I setting my day up like this without giving myself any buffer, like? Right. To what we had talked about a little bit earlier, if that becomes kind, of the, it's you know the intentionality factor. If I if I am intentional about it and say, hey, this day is just going to suck, <laughs> then it's okay. But if it happens every day for like a month straight, then is when I said, well, what am I doing? Maybe I need to change how I'm doing some stuff.
0: Yeah. So for example, tonight's going to be a night where though there's the trap of late nights and getting yeah. it all done, which. Trust me, I I definitely think is the wrong way to go. I know that there's probably going to be a half hour to an hour of stuff that I need to check in on slash cross off. Yeah. You know, when everybody's in bed, just so that it's not sitting there for me to do the next morning tomorrow. But I'm okay with that. I can compromise on that this time. But but I don't want to set a precedent. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, and I'm just notoriously, notoriously terrible. My brain just doesn't work super well after a certain time. However, I've even done it too, even though I'm a very big advocate of early mornings and, and being focused when everybody isn't quite up yet and feeling like you can just get way ahead of things. I've done it too, even though I talk about in the book that you know it's not my preference. I've done a couple or three or five administrative things when everybody's sleeping because I can just get those done quickly. They don't require a lot of brain power, And it relieves me for the next morning when I get up early so I can focus on, like, the really big stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. There are actually people who, you know, say that's how they operate best. And good for them if that is them being intentional. But if it's they feel they have no choice,
1: then I question it. Yeah, or if they're doing it without thinking about it, right? I think the key word here is what you brought up earlier is being intentional, right? If I'm making this decision because I'm doing it because it works for me, then that's awesome. And you may, and people who read the book may have totally different intentional ideas than I had. I think the key is to take away, be intentional about it, and then then everything's then everything's good because you're making choices and accepting you know implications. Yeah.
0: Well, we haven't covered all the traps, but I don't think we need to. Like you said, there's those three major ones. I even brought up a third one or a fourth one, I should say. And yeah. uh, I, you know, I think that they're all symptoms of the overarching problem, which is a lack of intentionality, a lack of awareness and honestly yeah. just almost a lack of of I don't want to say goal setting but just deciding of you know life design
1: clarity yeah, yeah it's clarity on what you want and that's you know goal setting usually helps you get that design right so once you know your that's why i talk so much about that future state being so important none of those traps matter without a future state um because some of them might not be traps in a different future state right i mean True. if you're all of and this is you know this is going to sound this is not meant to sound bad for anybody who's super type A and driving their career. If they're 100 percent and that's all they care about with their career, some of these traps aren't traps. They're going to help you get there. But if you have a different place in life, then they become traps. So at different places in time and that that future design becomes the mechanism by which you judge how significant these traps are for you or not.
0: Yeah, man. Good stuff. I, you know, people need to dig into this. People need to take some time with it. I think your book's a great way for them to do that. James, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to link it up in the show notes. Anywhere else you'd like to have me refer people to?
1: Um, you know, this is standard stuff. They can get the book on Amazon. There's my website, which I'm sure you'll put in there. And you can get me on social as well. You know, Twitter, Facebook, you know, LinkedIn, all the usual you know, suspects.
0: Great. Awesome. James, I will link you up in all the show notes as well as the (laughs) book. And thank you so much for being here. This
1: is great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: Well, that's another episode knocked off of your podcast listening to-do list. Thanks again for listening. And thanks again to James Sudikow for talking with me about getting out of the blur, tackling the work-life balance, the work-life blending whatever you want to call it, this relationship we have with our work and the expectations there, as well as the ever-growing expectations of how to live a perfect family slash home life. Head on over to the show notes at list.com. There you'll find links to everything that was mentioned in this episode. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com slash eric with a K, the letter J, F-I-S-H-E-R. Share this episode out on social media, etc. If you enjoyed this and know someone who needs to hear this episode. I hope that as you listened through this conversation, you had some time to think and process where you are and where you're wanting to be. Are you trying to be a superhero at work and at home or both? Either way, I hope that this episode helped you out, started to break down the soil that you can start digging into to grow some really awesome stuff in your life. And again, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next episode.